Okay, folks, welcome to Shenanigans with Biscuits and Gravy. Yes, yes. Hi, I'm Biscuits, and this other gentleman is Gravy. Say hi, Gravy. Hello. You're supposed to say hi, Gravy. How many times are we going to go over this? I know. I know. I, I'm slow. I'm a slow learner. It's yes. The, nu the nuns at St. Patrick's <laughs> predicted this. <laughs> the nuns. They, they, <laughs> they were like, he's so sweet, and he's so cute, but he's so dumb. That's... <laughs> And I just smiled at him and was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you'll excuse my voice. I do have a bit of a cold. I've been fighting it all weekend. So in an effort to get better, I'm going to take this shot of NyQuil. Oh, God, that's awful. Oh, that's awful stuff. Oh. It wasn't NyQuil, actually. It was just some moonshine. It's just supposed to help the cold. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Well, I mean, they're, what was it called? Grandpa's medicine? Grandpa's cough syrup. Yeah. Cough syrup. <laughs> yep. I, dude, uh, I remember when I lived in Spain. <laughs> this is how bad I was. Like, I was sick as hell, and I still went out to the bar that night. And I rolled in, and Pat was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, man, I'm just sick. And he goes, I'm going to make you a hot whiskey. <laughs> so he, so he put some cloves and a slice of lemon, put some, uh, put a kettle on, poured some hot water in, uh, a dollop of sugar, a shot of whiskey, and then the lemon and cloves and stirred it up, and you drink it when it's hot. And I felt so much better after that. Hmm. It was ridiculous how good I felt. And now every time I get sick, I make one. Yeah, but I've been working this weekend, so I've just been on the uh, the VIX. <laughs> so how has your weekend been? Um, not bad. Uh, Brother-in-law's in town, so we've been, you know, watching some movies, going around sure. doing stuff, whatever. Uh, the wife had her birthday. This weekend, ah, happy birthday! Yeah, and she did a little had a little planner con for a few days, which was cool. So she got to meet a whole bunch of planner famous people. It's a YouTube thing that deals with planning. Uh -huh. No kidding! It's a. Have you heard of it? No, this is no. I, I have I have never heard of this, I, and I, I like I like gardening. So, oh, what? It's nothing to do with gardening. You said planting. Planning. Planning. I, I got my sinuses screwed up, so I'm trying to say planning. P L A N N. You got that part right. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So just so we're, just so we're clear here, your sinuses are messed up. I can't hear due to my cold. So this is it's gonna. Oh my god. We might as well. We should do this video so people can see the Helen Keller esque moments we have with each other. <laughs> But that's awesome. That is so cool. And no, I still have not heard of this. <laughs> Planners um, or planning. Basically, okay. you know, you know, you can go out and buy those fancy little uh, weekly or monthly planners and all that. Well, yeah, yeah. what they do is like they'll they'll take something and they'll like add all kinds of decorations or stickers or whatnot. Or, you know, they'll even design their own, you know. They'll have monthly ones and then weekly and daily, you know, and they'll just, it's like, um, it's like planning everything, but making it fancy and, uh, 
Um, with like a, I mean, it's a lot bigger than I thought. Put it that way. Dang. Um, I'll have to show you a picture of one of hers soon. Let you see what it is. First, it started. We were scrapbooking, and even I even did that. I made a scrapbook. That is kind of fun. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. Yeah, mine is kind of mainly too. It's yeah. Uh, it's. I'll show you a picture of it later, or I'll just do a quick video of every page. It's. I like doing it with like my when my wife does stuff. I like sitting down and doing it. It's just kind of like meditation, you know. Glue it yeah. in the right spot, get it looking right. It's just you know, it focuses yeah. the mind, I guess, and that's why I enjoy it. It's a way to focus. Well, I, that's what it started, and then she, you know, quickly turned into planning, and she's like, you know, I've been hearing about it from these, these like, military spouses, or some of them are doing uh -huh. it, and there's like apparently, na big name planners around the country, and yeah, so it just got into something that she's been doing now for the last three years, and yeah, she loves it. She's even gone to these conventions like in Texas, or you know, like out Does here. She's does she sell online or anything, man? I've tried to get her to do so, but... Because she has a program. She can make some of her own stuff. Yeah. She just likes just doing it. There are some people that can. She's made me a few stickers. <laughs> but... But, yeah, that, that's her thing she does. And she spent her birthday weekend doing that. And I watched Hung Out with the Kids. And, right. uh... In-laws and did, uh... I did a lot of chores. Yeah, yeah, that's that, dude. We're doing uh, two Thanksgivings. We're having one for the family and one for the friends. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, my wife has pulled out the uh, bullwhip, laid down the taskmaster as things I have to do. So being being sick is not an excuse. No, it is not. Yeah. Yeah, I treat it like like when I was in the military. You know, like if we were sick, no one gave a shit. Oh yeah. No one, no one cares. You feel bad. No one cares, and that's how I like try to treat it. Like no one cares. You feel bad. Just go. <laughs> I mean, it gets to the point when you're so sick. Let's say, you know, imagine driving a submarine underwater, and you're so sick you can barely even see straight. <laughs> you, yeah. You all right, Benel? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Go off course a little bit. Go off depth a little bit. I remember I had a. An abscess in a tooth when I was underway, and I had like a hundred and three degree fever. Nice, I, those are good. Those are was, good ones. Yeah, and I came on to watch that night, and I was just pouring sweat, but I was cold, and I was sitting right, you know, because we worked in calm, so we had the giant wall air conditioner. So I was up, you know, up next to that still, and I was just like, oh, I just couldn't get right. And my uh, lieutenant finally came in. He's like, Jesus, you look like shit. I was like, yeah. He's like, well, only nine more hours to go. I was like, oh, God, I hate you so much. <laughs> yeah. What, 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 that morning about, I went what, got taken care of. about what range do you start getting uh, delirious when you get a fever? For me, it takes a lot. Like, I got to get way up there. I like, I remember the last time it happened to me, I think I was like 11 years old. And I had, uh, it was another abscess in a tooth I had got. And, uh, like my fever spiked to like 105. And yeah, I was you need to, you need to stop with those abs. 
Yeah, you need to stop those abscess tooth abscesses. Dude, I have I have the worst teeth, and I do. I floss. I brush. I do. I just I have, I guess what my grandfather would call soft teeth. You know, it's, I just I I easily get cavities and like they get bad on me because and I, like one of them I didn't even know I had an abscess until it was like popping out the side of my gum, like I was getting this bleb up. It was huge. It didn't hurt. Well. You know what? That reminds me. I got some spam musubi in the fridge. Oh, God. What? <sighs> we, uh, spam. Just the spam. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, like, I always thought that was so cool that we could go and get spam and eggs from McDonald's and stuff, but just, uh, I don't miss it. <laughs> I really, really don't. I it really, is a staple. Really no, the staple ought to go breakfast food. You can get is Spam Musubi. I'm sorry, but it's amazing. It's like, I mean, anybody doesn't know what Spam Musubi is, imagine a piece of Spam that's been fried a little bit, and it's stuck on this rectangular uh, tower of rice, and yep. it's wrapped with seaweed, and yep. it, it's, it's delicious, and it's warm, and it's perfect. You grab two of them, there's your, you got your energy for the morning, you, you know, got yourself a little something in your, in your tummy to, you know, to kind of make you content. A little Dude, bit of do coffee. You, do you remember that 7-Eleven that was outside of Pearl? You had to go kind of out uh, the gate right next to Gabrunas and make that right. And you went up the road and around like you were going to the housing area. Went by like the nursery and stuff where the school was back there. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That 7-Eleven there. They had the best ones. Oh. I don't know if they made them fresh in the back or what, but they were always hot and they were always good. Yeah, well, I mean, also depends. If it's like 3 in the afternoon and you get the same ones that have been there all day, they're still good. Just a little <laughs> crispier on the edges, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I might yeah. need to get my... Uh, uh, my meds, my meds, too. Um... The moonshine's kicking and I'm feeling good now. All right. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, let's see here. You have, what, one topic, correct? I do, I do. I have the Alcatraz escape attempt in June 1962. And I'm going to talk about a guy named Bob. So mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> You're like James Bond. <laughs> Bob. Who is that masked man? Like Bobbert. Bobbert? <laughs> awful name to name a kid. Oh, yeah. My next dog, that's what I'm naming it. Bobbert. My son names everything Charlie. <laughs> and I think it's awesome because like, he discusses the dog we don't even have yet because he wants a dog. And he's already named it Charlie. And then we have a bat that flies around the house. We interrupt this podcast for a Sanford and Sun break. Okay, folks, sorry about that. We had a, a quick technical thingamajig. And we're back. 
That's the tech. Really, we had a quick, and we're going to describe it as technical thingamajig. <laughs> you couldn't exactly. be less technical than the word <laughs> thingamajig. <laughs> <sighs> oh, good stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So Bob, the serial killer, or the killer. Yes. Alright, I'm interested in this. Would you like me to go first then? Uh, I can go. No, I can go first. I, I, I like to keep the, the listeners hanging on, you know. They, they want to know about this mystery too. And mine's oh. kind of well known already. About Bobbert. Well, he is well known. Someone, but... So here we go, folks. This is uh, the June 1962 Alcatraz escape attempt. Now, some of you may know about this or have heard about it. I think everybody has. Uh, three men escaped from Alcatraz in the middle of the night. Uh, they had a homemade raft, and they managed to, some say paddle all the way and make it to safety, but other people say that they ended up drowning, dying. Bodies never to be found. Now, in all of uh, Alcatraz's history... Uh, 36 inmates staged 14 escape attempts. And this is over like 29 years. Uh, 23 of them were recaptured. <clears throat> Six were shot and killed. Two drowned. And five, uh, three of them being the men I'm going to discuss tonight, and two being uh, the two others being Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe, are listed as missing and presumed drowned. Hmm. Now, I mean, that's, that's pretty ballsy. I mean, these people were trying. Yeah. That's one escape attempt every two years almost. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> these guys were not just idle, you know, sitting by idly on their hands like, nah, let's just listen to the radio and serve our time. So the three inmates involved in this, you had uh, Frank Morris, and Joe and Clarence Anglin, okay? Now, they're the, the three that supposedly made it off the island. There was a fourth guy, Alan West, who was involved in the escape, but we'll talk about him in a minute. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Frank Morris was born in Washington, D.C., and he was abandoned by his mother and his father at the age of 11. He spent most of his life in foster homes, and he was first convicted of a crime when he was 13. Uh, and then as he got older, his crimes kind of ranged from narcotics possession to armed robbery. Sounds good. Uh, he got busted for grand larceny <clears throat> in Miami Beach and for stealing cars and also armed robbery. Uh, he reportedly ranked, though, in the top 2% of the general population in intelligence. Nice. So his yeah, so his IQ was actually tested at over 133. So he served time in Florida, Georgia, and then when he escaped the Louisiana State Penitentiary, they sent him to Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> now the two other fellows who escaped were Joe and Clarence Angland. Now uh, they came from kind of almost like a, a migrant farmer uh, family. They're like 13 kids in it, and the, the parents used to follow uh, 
the crops around to uh, to earn a living. They ended up settling in uh, Florida because, like, tomatoes and uh, and oranges were a big help for the income. And every June, they'd go up north to Michigan to pick cherries. Uh, these two brothers, or I guess, were inseparable when they were young. They got busted uh, robbing banks, but they never used a weapon to actually rob a bank. The one time they supposedly used a weapon, it was actually a toy gun. <laughs> so we're not we're not dealing with the, the you know again the brightest bulbs in the box, but you know. They seem like decent guys. I mean, come on. Yeah, they committed robbery, but they did it with a toy gun. That's kind of nice. So they received 15 to 20-year sentences for robbing the uh, Columbia, Alabama, and Columbia Savings Bank building. So that's pretty good. Wow, they did well. That's pretty good. Um, They did time in Florida State Prison, Leavenworth, and then Atlanta Penitentiary. After uh, they tried to escape several times from Atlanta, they were transferred to Alcatraz. Now, the fourth guy, <clears throat> excuse me, Alan West. Uh, he was born in New York City, and he was uh, arrested for car theft, was sent to Atlanta, then to Florida. Again, he tried to escape, and then they transferred him to Alcatraz. And he, this is another one that, you know, probably not, not. Hey, stop, stop ground. I'm going to put my mashed potatoes in yours. Uh-oh. He's a few donuts short of a dozen. I guess he only had the education of an eighth grader. Now, for the escape, they believe it was all orchestrated by Morris. I mean, do you see another ringleader in the group? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. That's why I was like, wow, that's some good detective work. <laughs> <clears throat> they were all assigned to Jason Cells in uh, December 1961. And some of them had uh, known each other for being uh, incarcerated together in Atlanta. So evidently working at night over six months, they gradually widened these ventilation ducts that were in their cells against the wall. Mm-hmm. And they did it by using these blades that were discarded on the prison grounds. They stole spoons from the commissary and they improvised a drill from a vacuum cleaner. Nice. Yeah, and they uh, they concealed the, the holes they were making with cardboard and paint. And they'd only do the work when someone was playing an accordion. <laughs> so one of them would have the assignment for a time to play the accordion and then they'd pass it around to each other so everybody could keep working. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> I love that. So uh, the holes they made that were kind of located like right under the sinks and the reason they were able to even make the holes was because of moisture that ran down. It softened yeah. the concrete around the vents so they were able to chip away at it. So those vents led to an unguarded uh, utility corridor that ran behind the uh, the cell tier. And then from there, they climbed up onto the roof of the cell block and inside the building where they set up a small workshop. Now, let me say that again. These guys escaped their cell, climbed up to the interior of the roof, which you could basically call an attic, and set up a workshop. 
Mm -hmm. without being discovered. This, I don't know why, I'm thinking back in high school, climbing up into the rafters and the ceilings and everything. I didn't do that in high school. Really? No, no, we didn't have exposed beams and stuff, man. Well, not really exposed. <laughs> we climbed into places that we were not supposed to be in. Oh, well, we used light. to go up into the, uh, in the auditorium, we used to go up and adjust the lights for plays and stuff, but we were supposed to be up there doing that, so. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so in this workshop. Hey, don't bark at me. What, what is your deal? They, I will pull the hairs off of your tail one by one. Sorry, go ahead. You should have known a dog. Just <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they built a raft out of 50 raincoats, and they also made makeshift life preservers. And this is based on a design they saw in the magazine Popular Mechanics. You know, and that 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 one's always intrigued me is how they made that with the raincoats. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. you know, it's it's uh supposedly they did it with very close stitching, and there was a steam pipe nearby, and they used the steam pipes to actually heat up the rubber to where they could melt it together and seal it. I mean, that's ingenious. I mean, it, it yeah. Really is. They, uh, they took the accordion, it was actually a concertina, which is, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's like a, a handheld accordion. Instead of being on your chest, you can kind of hold it in your hands. Mm -hmm. um, craft that they built. Six by 14 feet, they estimate. And this thing had paddles. I mean, it, it, was, it was fairly genius, this plan that was put together. <clears throat> so they conceal their absences like you'd think okay guards are walking around these guys are up there in their friggin home built workshop in the roof of a prison building a raft somebody's <laughs> gonna notice they're gone nope because these guys made fake heads like out of paper machine like newspaper or something yeah yeah like paper they made them out of paper mache and it was a mixture of soap, toothpaste, the concrete dust that they were using, that they were scraping around their holes, and toilet paper to give these faces a realistic look. So while they were grinding away at their vents, they're also making these heads. And they put real hair on them that they stole from the barbershop. <laughs> so they put them in their bunks and it looked like they were sleeping. Right? Good. So... The night of June 11th, 1962, right? Everything's done. Here they go. Boom. They're going to escape. Well, when Wes tried to get out of his cell, he had used a little cement to like shore up the crumbling, crunk, uh, the crumbling concrete around his vent. Well, the crap hardened on him, so he couldn't get out. So he was out of the escape. So they were already down by one man. And supposedly they climbed up the ventilation shaft to the roof. Um, guards uh, apparently heard a large crash as they broke out of the shaft. And this was, I guess, noted in the logbooks. But since nothing further was heard, they didn't investigate the noise. So from there, they climbed down 50 feet using a kitchen vent pipe, then climbed two 12-foot barbed wire fences. 
So they they went around. I don't know. You you haven't been to Alcatraz, have you? No, no. I've seen pictures okay. and videos of it though. Okay. Well, they ran around to like the the I I think it's the north northwest north northeast side of the uh, of the island of the shoreline, and there was like a little power plant there that was uh, protected from the guards' uh, searchlights and patrols. So that's where they started pumping up their craft. Hmm. That's where they made their escape, middle of the night, June 11th, 1962. So they didn't discover until the next morning that they were gone because of, hey, the dummies. Good job, guys. That's some slick shit. So there was this huge search. I mean, military, law enforcement, everything. They, They searched for 10 days on the 14th. Which is uh, which would be three days after the night of the escape, uh, they picked up a paddle floating 200 yards off the southern shore of Angel Island. They also found a wallet wrapped in plastic containing names, addresses, and photos of the Anglin's friends and relatives. On the 21st, now we're 10 days after the escape, uh, shreds of raincoat material believed to be remnants of the raft were found on a beach not far from Golden Gate Bridge. The following day, a prison boat picked up a deflated life jacket made from the same material 50 yards off of Alcatraz Island. So, like, stuff's kind of scattered all around. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it makes it seem kind of, did they make it, did they not? And it, I just like that. I like that. Uh, the authority, the FBI, anyway, uh, believed that the men had drowned just offhand. Uh, but they searched and searched for bodies. Nothing was found. Uh, there was this gentleman, Patrick Mahoney, and he ran a launch that traveled between Alcatraz and the mainland. He said, you know, he felt like he didn't make it, but he really thought they'd find a body, and they didn't. And in that area, they are known for finding every two out of three bodies that dies in San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh now supposedly here again I'm looking at it as a map. Now supposedly they they were on the northeast side of the shoreline, right? Where the power plant is. And that's where they launched from. Now supposedly they landed at Angel Island. Hold which on, I think is like southwest or no, southeast of that area. So I think I think that's the way they they were flowing to so they were on the northeast side of the island and they end up just due to currents being pushed southeast wait angel island that's uh yeah that's north of um that that's uh north of alcatraz oh no okay so yeah coming in yeah it's north of uh it's angel island's north of alcatraz with uh east of alcatraz is the treasure island yeah. West of it's the Golden Gate Bridge, uh-huh. and then um, Richardson Bay is more kind of northwest, like high northwest of Alcatraz. Oh, okay. So they were supposedly went kind of almost up and around the bay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, supposedly, this is from uh. At- uh, one, an observer around that area at 1 a.m. the morning of June 12th, this gentleman supposedly saw an illegal boat in the bay near Alcatraz. 
A few minutes later, the boat left, heading under the Golden Gate Bridge. This had led to speculation that the prisoners had outside Confederates picked them up by boat, but evidently this was dismissed. Uh, then there was a body found, but they believed it was from uh, an unemployed baker who had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge due to the fact that the body was found bloated and like actually intact, and it was too long after. I think it was found on the 17th, which would have been you know what, six days. That's a long time to be floating around in the bay. Yeah. And not and not being nibbled on. Uh, human bones were located eight months after the escape, having washed up on the shore north of the Golden Gate Bridge at Point Reyes, near the place where the Norwegian ship had spotted the body I told you about earlier. Uh, but they didn't match any uh, DNA samples that they had had from the Anglins or from Mr. Morris. Now, Mr. West helped them out in the... Uh, and reconstructing kind of the escape attempt or what the plan was. So he was never charged with a role in the attempt. Well, turn coat bastard. Can't stand that. So on, uh, on December 16th, 1962, John Paul Scott successfully swam a distance of 2.7 nautical miles from the island to Fort Point at the southern end of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's why I was thinking so. Okay, so that's... And but he was found by teenagers suffering from hypothermia and exhaustion. They sent him to the hospital and then straight back to Alcatraz. <laughs> okay, that if you're looking at that, if you're looking at a map of Alcatraz and you look at a map of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, he's heading down there on that. We say the uh, Fort Point. Yeah, he Fort took Point. off from Fort Point, went to Point Reyes. And then he he took off that Fort Point. Fort yeah. Point there that's on the southern part At of the Golden southern Gate. end of the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, and he went to where? That that's where he ended up on December sixteenth, nineteen sixteen. Okay. He made John Paul Scott successfully swam two point seven nautical miles or three point one regular miles from the island to Fort Point at the southern end of the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, that is a long way compared to just heading down south. And I'm not sure where the current is. I would have to use a different app to see what That's the, the thing. That the current in San Francisco Bay is crazy, man. Hmm. It is strong. It is fast. I mean, it is a crazy-ass current. Yeah, depending on where they want to go and where the current usually takes. Yeah. If you can go online, you can see where you're... you're, you're you know, every any place in the world has a typical current direction that goes, you know, without the different factors. And I'm kind of curious which would be the best place they can go. Because, I mean, distance, if you look at it, you can go to North Beach, and that's just south of Alcatraz Island. You know? Yeah. I mean, but I mean, you got. But you're at the mercy of the current there. If you're swimming, if you're in a small craft without an engine, you're at the mercy of the current. Yeah, that's the thing. Trying to figure out like where the current goes. I'm gonna have to use my phone and because uh, I think I still have that app that shows it. Yeah. Now Alcatraz was shut down in March of 1963. It was just too expensive due to the salt water and all the crap. The thing was falling down, so they shut it down. Thank you. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. 
Now, the investigation with the U.S. Marshal Service is still open for these three men. Mm-hmm. And the guy, I think yeah, in 2009, he was still in charge of the case. Uh, Deputy Marshal um, Michael Dyke uh, said there's still active warrants out on these gentlemen. Now, the families refute the fact that these men died. They honestly believe that uh, they made it to shore. And there are some, I would say, legitimate reported sightings here. Uh, a day after the escape, a man claiming to be John Anglin had called a lawyer, Eugenia McGowan, in San Francisco to arrange a meeting with the U.S. Marshal's office. But when McGowan refused, the caller terminated the phone call. FBI said it was probably just a prank. In January 65, the FBI investigated a rumor that Clarence Anglin was living in Brazil. It was considered so significant that agents were dispatched to South America to find him. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'll get into that in a, in a bit. Um, now, the family of the Anglin brothers said that they would often receive Christmas cards to the mailbox that said, To Mother from John Merry Christmas. And another one uh, of the Anglings' 11 siblings, Robert, also said sometimes the phone would ring and all they could hear was breathing on the other end. He said, I suppose it could have been pranks, but maybe it was my brother's. Now, now that's just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the mother of the Anglin brothers received flowers anonymously every Mother's Day until her death. And two very tall, unusually women in heavy makeup were reported to have attended her funeral before disappearing afterwards. Now, that I like. But who's your source? They didn't name a source, and I don't like that. Yeah. That, that, that's the only thing. And uh, evidently in the... Uh, there were like six or seven sightings in the uh, 60s and 70s. And in 89, when the father died, there were two strangers in beards showed up at the funeral home. And according to Brother Robert, same guy, they stood in front of the casket looking at the body for a few minutes. They wept and they walked out. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's how I was like, mm. So what are you, now that you read, what are your thoughts? Well... There was one more report. I mean, my papers are all stuck together, so I, I duly apologize. Why are they stuck together? I'm curious about that. That is the next $100 question. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the one I was looking for. Sorry, I have like 20 papers here. Um, there was this family friend, Fred uh, Breezy, B-R-I-Z-Z-I. He grew up with the, uh, the brothers and claimed to have recognized them on a trip to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. He produced photographs, and uh, they were actually inspected by forensics experts. They were taken in 1975 when he was in Brazil, and they did measurements, and they do kind of look like the, Ang uh, the Anglin brothers. Hmm. And this was what prompted the Marshal Service to send agents down to uh, Brazil to actually look for them. And they actually, uh, one of the marshals showed a picture to one of the merchants around the area who correctly identified the man as one of the Anglin brothers. Yeah, I, I'd, um... 
I could see it. I could see it. Yeah. Now, ever you watch MythBusters? I watch MythBusters. Yeah. And they postulated that they weren't going for Angel Island. They were going for a different island. And the MythBusters were able to make it, supposedly using only the things that these inmates had to use to make the raft and everything else. Mm-hmm. And they did make it, but they did not make it to Angel Island, which a lot of people thought they went to another island. But I specifically did not read that thing because you can go and watch that shit, people. Hey, hang on, buddy. Uh, I got the little one crying for some reason. Give me just a Uh-oh. second. Take your time, man. Do the family thing. Hey, we're back. Um... Where'd we leave off the the, the brothers in the brothers those? were identified correctly in Brazil by our local merchant there to the US Marshal Service. Do I think they made it? Yes. Why? Because I have hopes like that. It's like when I'm watching a high speed pursuit on the TV. I want that guy to get away. Yeah. Here's now, an interesting story. Just you you believe just them two, right? No, the three. Frank all Morris and the two it. Anglin brothers. Yes, I believe all of them made it. Okay. Now, whether now maybe something happened. Maybe they were sinking. They were taking on too much water with the three of them in the boat. They killed Anglin. That's how Ang. That's how some of Anglin stuff, or they killed a Morris. Excuse me. That's how some of his stuff maybe ended up on, you know, or scattered around. How they found some of the things, and the brothers just went on because they could manage it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you don't know what happened on the boat. And yeah. we don't. We all we know is, or what can guesstimate is what happened until they went into the water. You know, so you don't really know. Oh yeah. But do I think at least two of them made it? Yes. I re- I really, honestly, and wholly do. But like I said, I like cheering for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's always been an int- intriguing one. I I've. Uh... I got family who went there. I, I do plan on visiting there sometime. And, and it's always good. I don't care how many times you see it. If you ever see a new documentary on it, I'm totally down watch to watch it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been there. And like I told you before, take the last tour. Take the very last tour they give at that time. Because they, usually it's dark and it's just so much creepier there. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely have, I'll keep that in mind. San Francisco. That means I have to go to San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. A little rice aroni. Oh my god. <laughs> your your San Francisco treat, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> god. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a flashback to the eighties and nineties. Shit. That flashback was so quick, my hair blew off. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, what? What do you mean hair? I'm a little bald. Oh, oh. I'm already so bald. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, man. Yeah. Rat bastard. <laughs> Speaking of rat bastards, mm-hmm. let's talk about a guy named Bob. Tell me about this feller. Well, this guy Bob, he uh, he was born in 1949 and died in 1992. Okay. Um, he and I actually have some things in common. I know places that are going to be mentioned in this story quite well. 
Um, although he was born and raised in Ohio, um, he did spend a good portion of his life in uh, Kansas and Missouri. Okay. Now, he has some nicknames. I won't go over that one just yet because, you know, he's Bob. That's what Then why I'm... are you bringing it up? Why cock tease me with this stuff? Because it's fun. Come Speaking on. of which, six feet, two inches. Big fella. This is, uh, yeah, yeah. 210 pounds. Whoa. Amazing mustache. Amazing. Yes, yes. Like, yes. are we talking Magnum P.I. amazing, or are we talking, um, like, Monsieur Poirot? I would say no, no, no. Kind of a little close, close to Magnum P.I. Yes. Okay. All right. Um... Let's see here. I can't say this part until the end. That sucks. Um, there was a particular movie that came out in the 1960s that really kind of pushed to his methods. His, you know, he his extracurricular activities he used to have. That's um, a nice way to put things. Yes. Now, <laughs> Bob, shall we say Bobbert? He was born, like I mentioned, in 1949 in. Uh, in Ohio, he was the first of two sons, born to Robert Sr., a dice setter for the Motor Ford Company. Did you seriously say Robert Sr.? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. That was fantastic. All right. <laughs> hey, I thought it was funny. That was really good. Like It totally slammed me from nowhere. I was like, oh, that's good. That, that's well thought out. <laughs> It just came to me. You're genius. Floating on the water. Uh, oh, love it. <laughs> okay, let's try not to sink this too much. Um, uh, yeah, his his father, Bobbert Sr., uh, dice setter for the Fold Motor Company, and his mother, Mrs. Bobbert, a homemaker. Now, the father was a Catholic of Italian descent and raised his family in deep religious household in which the family regularly attended mass and both sons regularly attended religious education courses. Um, now, as a child, Bob was intelligent but a loner who rarely played outside of his home and seldom had friends to visit and socialize. He had a speech impediment and wore thick glasses from the age of five because he was severely nearsighted. Okay. That that your 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 puffer sounds like really. Loud. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, he was also diagnosed with high blood pressure, for which he took several medications. This is okay. when he was young. Yeah, he he high blood pressure. Child. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That the high blood pressure will come into play a little bit later. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, now. Bob was a uh, largely unathletic kid, whereas his younger brother, Daniel, displayed an aptitude for various sports from an early age. Uh, Bob's father, he viewed his older son's lack of interest in sports as a sign of failure and often compared him unfavorably with his younger brother. Uh, occasionally, uh, Bob's father physically and emotionally abused his children and beat them with a leather strap. Jesus. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, I mean, imagine a belt, same thing. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, when you, when you put the word regularly and beat with a belt in the same sentence, it's not a good thing, man. 
I mean, when you're a little young punk, yeah, I understand. I was. I got beat with this uh, hand. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I got whacked, but Jesus, not on the regular. <laughs> well, I mean, it, this this part I got from Wikipedia, so you know. Oh, oh okay. There. So you got to kind of take that at face value. Yeah, you got to take it at gotcha, face value. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Although Bobbert probably did enjoy it. Oh Lord. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Bob Burford. <laughs> Hit me again, Father. I deserve it. Yeah, right. Oh. Okay, oh. harder. <laughs> Did I say two? <laughs> Better make it three. <laughs> uh, Bob performed well academically, though teachers often found him difficult to teach in part due to both his aloofness and as being the recipient of bullying by other students. Um, so pretty much he did not socialize very much. Yeah. Not the athletic type, kind of a loner, nerdy, you know, that's pretty much what he grew up in. Although very, very smart individual, though. Hmm. Um, when uh, Bob reached puberty, he discovered that he was a homosexual. Initially, he kept his fact a closely guarded secret, and he did not become open about his sexuality for several years. Uh, um, nonetheless, in his early teens, he briefly had a girlfriend. Um, now it is Me too, to Bob. Me too. Me no, just had, just had the one girlfriend in the team. It's not... <laughs> I had a doll... Oh. <laughs> I just picture this severely abused cabbage patched all in my head like when you said that it's just... <laughs> like every time you walk in the room its eyes even got wider it's like no start shaking <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, You're just too damn funny today, dude. <laughs> I'm not even trying today. That's the worst. Oh, part. that's the best part, though. I know. Uh, by his now his adolescent time, by his mid-teens, Bob had begun to display a degree of self-confidence, which would often manifest itself via his aptitude to other individuals, in which he would exert somewhat rude and condescending attitude, uh, particularly towards women. Obviously, because he liked the boto. Yeah, so he liked dudes, so he kind of made fun of the women. Yes, um, the bully, bully becomes the bully, or, well, the bu ah, never mind. Yeah, I got you, I got you. It's too the bully becomes the bullier. Exactly. Um, do, 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 do. Ba, 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 ba. I believe at this time he was still in Ohio. Um, 
Or he was kind of out and about at the time. I don't think he, because he come back to and from Ohio during his adolescent time. Because I guess his uh, his father died um, when he was, uh, I believe, thirty nine. Or his dad was thirty nine. Um, oh wow! So he's probably yeah. young. So uh, Bob he sought solace in his religion and later read extensively about many faiths. He became cynical about pretty much like all religions, even though that's what he studied. Um. Now, in 1965, Bob saw the the film adaption of the John Fowles book, The Collector. The plot of this movie uh, revolves around a lonely male who stalks, then abducts young women he finds attractive and holds her her captive in his windowless stone basement, viewing her as little more than an attractive specimen. After several weeks, female captive dies of a uh, contracted... Um, illness despite her captor's efforts to keep her alive. Uh, now Bob later stated this movie had formed a lasting impression on him. So, not too long after Bob's dad passed away, his mother remarried. And, um, it was kind of met with resentment, viewed more as a form of betrayal against his father. Um, so Bob became increasingly withdrawn. Uh-huh. Are, are you okay? Did you spill your drink? No, I did not spill my drink. Thank you very much. Was that a cup that dropped? No, it wasn't actually. Uh, it was my son's Poe figurine from Star Wars that's on my desk. Poe, you throwing your little child's I throw it. I move my hand and it knocked it off. father are you? A horrible one of <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um. So Bob, he, he, you know, just became increasingly withdrawn. It's like fuck y'all. He got into painting. He got into uh, collecting coins and collecting stamps. He started writing uh, uh, foreign pen pals. Um. All from not just in our country, but like all over the world, such as Vietnam and Burma. Uh, and they would send him other, you know, some more stamps and photos of uh, mythological and historical icons, uh, ancient cultures, uh, architecture. Um, he had a very avid interest in primitive art, uh, photographs and antiques. Um, so sounds for, like a fairly interesting dude. I mean, yeah, honestly, like this I, sounds like someone I'd want to sit down and have a drink with and talk with, minus the weirdly keeping and killing people. Yeah, I'd say up until about his college years. Okay, okay. You know, there, there's a point in his college years you realize, okay, this guy might be a little too much. No, <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, but pretty much since 1965, he would be, be he would be be avidly collecting these artifacts, and mm-hmm. which would later inspire him to open up his own business down the road. Okay. Yeah. Now. College years, he uh, he relocated to Kansas City, um, which was well. I mean, let's see this here. He was still in Ohio, um, and through studies in high school, he had earned an ex- excellent grades and displayed such potential or and displayed such potential that after graduation, he relocated to Kansas City and enrolled in the Kansas City Art Institute with aspirations of becoming a college professor. Wow, uh, lofty goal. 
Um, now his second year, uh, during his second year of art school, he became vocally anti-authoritarian. Um, he began hanging out with uh, people and supplied him with drugs, which he would th which he then sold to other students as profit. Um, he required a uh, reputation as a minor drug dealer. He became regularly abusing alcohol and ex uh, engaged in acts of animal torture on at least three occasions. Uh, one while a student at Kansas City Art Institute. During two of these incidents, he tortured a duck and a chicken in the presence of his peers. In the third incident, he experimented with sedatives and tranquilizers on a dog. Where did he get the duck and the chicken? I don't know, but I think after the duck and chicken, I would have been like, okay. You know, once you started with a dog, I'm like, okay, the duck and chicken got it. The dog, no, man, you, you can't do it no more. I don't, see, I can't dig torture in anything. Just to make something suffer to suffer, nah. Like, you don't pluck a chicken, you know, while it's still alive. That's just mean, dude. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I just don't dig that in any sense. Mm -hmm. But I'm still curious on where the hell he got the duck and the chicken. Well, I mean, if, if, if the same guy gave him the duck and saw what he did with the duck, why would you give him the chicken? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th this was in the uh, late 60s, man. Uh, yeah, different time. different time. My dad had a pet turkey, okay? Mm -hmm. So, it ain't saying much. <laughs> All right? <laughs> My dad had a pet turkey that thought it was a dog. Oh, that's awesome. Like, it ran with the dogs. And when the dogs would come, when the kids get home from school, the, the, the turkey, <laughs> I think his name was Ziggy, the turkey <laughs> would awesome. run with the dogs, acting and hanging out. I think if my dad said he uh, he died, um, well, he almost died one year. It was uh, snow, that sleet and rain. Yeah, and uh, he had staring up at the rain, and water oh, started filling up in his mouth, and his feet or his feet had froze to the ground. So he he saved him, but <coughs> I think eventually he like he when they went on vacation, and the turkey died of a, a broken heart or something like that. Jesus, at least that's what he was told. He was probably fed it later. I don't know. I was about to say that's a really touching story about a turkey. I know. Like, that that's thats some Pixar shit right there. <laughs> i tell you about the turkey with a broken heart. That's a, that's a beautiful damn thing, huh? <laughs> that is really lovely. Well, I'm thinking about a turkey sandwich for lunch. Actually, I was really thinking about a turkey sandwich, too. <laughs> From now on, every turkey sandwich will be called Ziggy. That's right. What do you have in a Ziggy? A Ziggy. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We're, so, yeah. Okay, we, we've gone to uh, a duck, uh, a chicken, and third a, a dog. dog. Yes. Yeah. Now, at the age of 19, Bob is arrested for attempting to sell methamphetamines to an undercover, undercover officer. Um, he was handed a five-year suspended sentence. Now, one month uh, after this first arrest, Bob and two other students were arrested for possession of marijuana and LSD in Johnson County, which, hey, I used to live in Johnson County. I grew up there. No um, kidding. Oh, yeah. Wow. No, know the area very well. 
On this occasion, um, Bob could not postpone and he spent five days in jail, although the charges against him were dropped due to a lack of evidence. Okay. Crazy. All right. Now, in 1969, Bob volunteered with Juror from the Kansas City Art Institute after receiving harsh criticism from college administrators for killing, then cooking a duck for the sale of art. For the sake of art. Okay, so we know what he did the duck now. He killed it and cooked it for the sake of art. Y- yes, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's where the, you know, the law of freedom of expression, you know, can get really blurred. Yeah, you I mean, know. I mean, ducks can to... be nice. Ducks can be nice pets, but I don't know. Once the dog, that one, that was my okay. All right, dude, we can't be friends yeah. no more. Well, because you know, man's best friend. Yada yada yada. But any cruelty to animal, to an animal, is wrong. I mean, I, uh, dude, I hate even messing up a fish when I and I love to fish. But I, I even hate it when, like, they swallow it and you're trying to get it out and you're like, God, I know I'm, I know I'm just hurting this animal. <laughs> you know, it, does, it makes me feel bad, which is probably why I don't hunt. <laughs> okay, remind me not to take you fishing then. No, dude, I love fishing. I really do. But I always hope I can, you know, just get it out very easily and just kind of chuck them back and there you go. Like when they swallow the bait and stuff like that, it always just, like, I don't know. It just hurts my heart. Yeah, I'd be in them crying and everything, huh? I don't cry. It's not like I break down and have a moment. <laughs> we all it's break just, down and have a moment. It's just a feeling. <laughs> Fishing is the time to have your feelings. To let go. Let them go. And catch fish and drink booze. I do. And I have a good time. But, you know, it's just, you know, you, you give a moment to the animal. You know, just a little bit of respect. And eat gummy worms with ass client juice covering some shit. I don't know. What Ugh. was it? Beaver? Beaver? I don't know. <laughs> I still can't get over that, man. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> gummy bears. Oh, you've ruined it for me. <laughs> okay, so 1969, Bob voluntarily withdrew from the Kansas City Art after receiving harsh criticism from college administration for killing, then cooking a duck for the sake of art, um, he decided to stay in Kansas City. And um, around that fall, he moved into an address located within the Hyde Park, or the Hyde Park District of Kansas City, um, at forty-three fifteen Charlotte Street. Now, he began spending much of his free time with male prostitutes, drug addicts, petty criminals, and runaways. Uh, he would typically befriend and try to help free them from their drug addictions and gen- uh, general lethargic or criminal lifestyles. They are so, I mean, so, I mean, uh, other than a little couple, you know, animal acts, he's not a bad dude hanging out with shady so, people, trying to help them improve their life. There you go. I mean, really, yeah. Now, um, let's see here. Uh, to several of his neighbors, he gradually almost felt like a foster parent to many of these youths. Uh, now, by the early 80s, many of his older acquaintances had seized any form of social contact with him, thus meaning Bob increasingly relied on those young men as a source of companionship and, uh, and friendship. Um, let's see here. 
Now, Bob would often engage in sexual relations with several of those individuals. Uh, he would establish a degree of control over them, in part to engage in these sexual relations via methods including loaning them money and allowing them to live rent-free at his house for periods of time. Huh. That ain't rent-free, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Gas, grass, or... <laughs> Gas, grass, or ass, no one rides yeah. for free. Yeah, yep. Um, now, to his neighbors, Bob considered a flamboyant, helpful, and civic, a civic-minded individual. Um, he civic-minded? Have... <laughs> yeah, he's trying to bone people. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he would assist uh, organizational uh, organizational activities of the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood uh, Association, becoming their chairman in the early 80s, and encouraging huh. neighborhood watch patrols. Yeah, and I, I dude, I, <laughs> I remember during this time that they were, it was actually really big around that time with the neighborhood watch areas. In really? school, they talked about that a lot. I think that was around the time they were doing the, the dare, don't do drugs thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that all up, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I solemnly swear, what a lie. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, you know, a civic-minded individual. Uh, he would also represent his neighborhood at fundraising events for local public television stations. Dang. Yeah. I As still have no idea who you're talking about, and it's really irking me. <laughs> <laughs> As a means of obtaining additional income, he has also sold arcane items of art and antiques. He had acquired and collected across the recent years some contacts he'd established in Africa, Asia, South America, and various Pacific uh, Rim countries. Um, obviously this from his uh, pen pals that would send him stuff. So uh, he would initially operate this side business from his home. Um, for a while he was a senior cook at several renowned, uh, renowned Kansas City restaurants and joining a local chef's association to uh, and helping establish a training program for aspiring chefs at local community college. So I mean, it, 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 this guy, other than a few quirks, he's, he's not a bad dude, you know? Other than a few. <laughs> Think we're past a few, buddy. <laughs> a few more than a few. So he's a flawed individual, aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> now, in 1982, Bob began renting his own booth at the the Westport Flea Market. This story was named Bob's Bizarre Bizarre. So, like, okay. a, a play on the fact that a bazaar is something like a swap meet or a flea market. Yeah, and then the second bazaar is the, the like, oh, this is bizarre. Okay. Bizarre. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And he primarily sold and traded primitive art, jewelry, and antiques. Um, I mean, this was, a, this was his pride and joy, basically, is what it was. He became acquainted with a fellow merchant named Paul Howell. Who operated a booth adjacent to his own, and um, Bob became acquainted with Bob Howell's younger son, Jerry Howell. Okay. This is when Bobbert goes downhill. 
<laughs> I love that you call him Bobbert. It's just so funny. Bobbert has uh, had um, believed to have killed his first victim on July 5th in 1984. Uh, the victim is known as 19-year-old Jerry Howell. He abducted on the, he was abducted on the pr- promise of driving the youth to attend a dancing contest in Merriam, Kansas, which I was born in Merriam, Kansas. Um, that is so creepy. According to Bobbert, he plied or he plied Howell with alcohol, Valium, and um, some other drugs, and uh, he did this while in the car, and then. Injected Howell with a heavy tranquilizer before binding the youth to his bed. Um, Howell was restrained to uh, Bobber's bed for approximately 28 hours. Uh, he was repeatedly drugged, tortured, raped, and violated uh, Violated with uh, foreign objects. Now, according to Bob, the youth either asphyxiated on his own vomit or the combination of the gag and the medicines were too strong for him to be able to catch his breath. Uh, Bob would later state that he did briefly attempt to perform CPR upon upon uh, Howell after he had died before dragging his body to the basement. He then suspended Howell's body over a large cooking pot and made several incisions to the youth's inner elbows and jugular vein before leaving the body suspended in this position overnight to allow the blood to drain from his corpse. Now, the following day, he had dismembered Howell's body using a chainsaw and boning knives. Before wrapping the sections, yeah, yeah. Before wrapping the sections in newspaper and trash bags, these bags were later placed inside larger trash bags, which Bobber placed outside for a gra- a garbage crew to collect and take to a landfill. Goodbye, Jerry Howell. Howell. Hello, Howell. Yeah. Hello, Robert Sheldon. On April 10th, 1985, a former lodger of uh, Bob's uh, 23-year-old <laughs> Bob's I'm switching back from Bob and Bobbert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 23-year-old Robert Sheldon arrived on his doorstep asking if he, can, uh, he could again stay at his home for a short period of time. Um... Although he was not uh, physically attracted to uh, Robert, he chose to drug and hold him captive on April 12th when he returned home from work to find Sheldon intoxicated in his home. Sheldon was drugged with sedatives and held captive on the second floor bedroom for three days, enduring forms of torture torture such as uh, the swabbing of drain cleaner in his left eye, the insertion of needles beneath his fingertips, the binding of his wrist with piano wire with the intention of permanently damaging the nerves in his hands and filing or filling his ears with caulking to reduce his hearing capacity. Mm. On that was April 10th or no April 12th when he was uh, uh, taken captive. Now on April 15th, the workman came to perform such <clears throat> some scheduled work. Oh, excuse me. Wow. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, Sheldon, uh, oh wait. Yeah, on April 15th, the workman came to perform some scheduled work on the roof of his home, leading Bob to choose to fatally suffocate Sheldon by placing a sack over his head, which he then tightened with a piece of rope. He later dissected Sheldon's body in the third floor bathroom. Jesus. Yeah. 
Now, Bob found Mark Wallace that following June, whom he vaguely knew via Wallace having previously helped him with the yard work prior to. Uh, He invited him inside the house and noticed Wallace's acute sense of tenseness and depression. Volunteered to eject him with, uh, what is this, uh, chloropromycin? Chloropromycin? Does that sound familiar? Not the way you're saying it. <laughs> See, yeah, well, of course I'm saying it wrong. See, C H L O R P R O M A Z I N A. Chlorpromite. Are you even there? Yeah, I'm here. You're going you're gonna to help me? <laughs> it's an antipsychotic, dude. Ah, okay, antipsychotic. I'm just going to use that instead. Anyways, he volunteered to inject him with the antipsychotic with the explanation that this would calm him down and relax him. Walling, or Wallace willingly accepted the offer, and 30 minutes later, Bob decided to render him captive. Uh, Wallace was carried to the second floor bedroom where he endured almost a day of capti- captivity and torture, including the application of alligator clips to his nipples to facilitate electric <laughs> shocks to his body. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Mark Wallace died through a combination of the drugs, the gag, and the lock- lack of oxygen. Um, Probably aspirated or something. Probably. Uh, God, who knows? Um, I mean, Thorazine is good for a lot of things. I mean, it'll calm you and stuff, but... That's what he was injecting with, Thorazine. Ah, okay. It's antipsychotic, he said? Yeah, yeah, Thorazine's... That's the one they used to use real big back in, like, the, the 40s and 50s. You know, when they made them all zombies, they'd inject them with Thorazine. Oh, okay, okay. It also cures hiccups, though. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just thought of something sick. <laughs> Go wander the streets as a hiccup cure. Um, <laughs> so, um... September uh, of 2000, or September of uh, 1985, he uh, he answered a phone call from an acquaintance named Jeff uh, Ferris, um, and the guy stayed at his home for a while, and eventually uh, Bob, um, he drugged him with uh, crushed tranquilizers, had him uh, concealed in a meal, and then tied him Oh, yeah. They crushed the tranquilizers he had concealed in a meal. Then he tied oh. him to his bed. Yes. I'm like, uh, he concealed him in a meal? Like, he yeah, fed him to people? Yeah. The story went from, like, six to a ten real quick. <laughs> I was like, did I miss a comma? Did I put one where this was supposed to be? what I do? All right. Um, so he tied him to his bed before torturing him almost constantly for approximately 27 hours. Damn. Ouch, yeah. The uh, torture included repeated administ- uh, 
administering of 700 or 7,700 volts of electric shocks to the shoulder test and testicles for up to five minutes in each instance and Jeez. acupuncture yeah and acupuncture via hyperdermic needles to the neck and genitals oh yeah. um now let's go to todd stoops he was a drug addict and sometimes prostitute who alongside his wife had twice lived briefly at bob's house in 1984 now, Bob did not see him again until maybe, I think it was late, I think it was as late as 1986, uh, at a brief encounter at the Kansas City Liber, uh, Liberty Memorial Park, which, by the way, I remember back then in the 80s, it was put out, you know, if you're, you know, don't go up there at nighttime, because it's usually where all the, they would say, yeah, it's where all the fags hang out, and that's where oh you're going to go, you'll go, you go there and you could possibly disappear. Oh, Jesus. So I remember, yeah, from the 80s that people were saying that. That's what makes this like, whoa, hey. Yeah, that is really close to home, like. Damn. Um, now, so Bob invited him into the house with an offer of lunch and an added incentive of sex is, to, is because Stoop stated he needed 13 bucks to purchase some drugs. Because <laughs> that's just, I always talk to people like that. <laughs> yeah. How are you today? I need money for drugs. <laughs> Come to my place. I'll give you yeah. money. Oh, okay. <laughs> and a meal. <gasps> he was held captive before uh, for two weeks before he died. Um, Bob used electrical shocks through Stoops' closed eyes in an attempt to blind him and inject draining cleaner into his larynx to try to silence his screaming. Oh, my God. God. Now, um, yeah, he, yeah, he picked this guy up from Maria June 17th of 86. Now, on June 27th, he tortured Stoops' anal wall with his fist, causing bleeding and discharge. <laughs> okay? Well, and, hell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it got to the point for a few days after that Stoops was so weak that uh, he was unable to breathe in a sitting position. And on July 1st, 1986, Stoops died. A forensic pathologist later testified that the ruptured, the, the ruptured anal wall caused uh, septic shock, which proved fatal. <clears throat> All right, let's go to the spring of 1987. Bob became friendly with the 20-year-old Larry Wayne uh, Pearson. This casual friendship began when Pearson entered his shop and explained to Bob that as a child he had held an interest in both witchcraft and wizardry. Shortly <laughs> thereafter, Pearson temporarily lodged with uh, Bobbert and willingly, willingly performed chores around the home as a means of paying rent. Um, now, as of June 23rd went, uh, uh, Bob ensured Pearson some... Uh, Ensure piercings became intoxicated before injecting him with that drug again, the antipsychotic, and moving him down to his basement, where he bound Pearson's hands above his head, then linked the rope uh, he had used for a purpose to, uh, uh, for this purpose, to a brick column before injecting Pearson's larynx with a drain cleaner. He then brought an electrical transformer to the basement. Now, <coughs> excuse me. According to Bob, Pearson was by far the most cooperative of the six murder, uh, murder victims. On the fifth day of his cap capture, having uh, by this stage endured torture, such as the uh, 
repeated administration of electric shocks with a transformer and the breaking of several hand bones with an iron rod to render him submissive. After six weeks of captivity and an active despair, Pearson deeply bit into uh, Bob's penis before screaming he can... <laughs> before... Excuse <laughs> Yeah, Pearson deeply bit into Bob's penis before screaming he could not continue to tolerate being treated in this manner. In a response, Bob killed Pearson by first bludgeoning him unconscious with a tree limb and then suffocating him with a bag and a ligature before driving a hospital to receive treatment for his wound. Pearson's body was later dismembered in the basement and his head initially stored in a plastic bag inside Bob's freezer before being buried in the backyard. Uh, I think I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. Now, the final victim is, uh... At 1 a.m. on the March 29th in 1988, Bob abducted his last victim, a 22-year-old male prostitute named Christopher Bryson, whom he lured to his house upon the promise of a payment for sex. Bryson was knocked unconscious with an ironing bar, or with an iron bar, then bound to Bob's bed, where he was subject to similar methods of abuse and torture endured by previous uh, victims. Although in Bryce's case, Bob repeatedly swabbed his eyes with ammonia. Ooh. Oh. Hey. That is harsh, man. All these guys. Really. I'm telling you, this guy is sadistic. Oh, yeah. But it's... <sighs> By, by the third day of his capture, um, Bryson had earned sufficient trust from Bob to persuade him to establish a daily regime, or a reg, regimen of tying his hands in front of him after his sexual abuse rather than above his head into the bed upon the excuse that his doing so was restricting the circulation to his arms. So, cleverly, you know, hey, I'm going to pretend like I'm going to put up with this. Hey, you're killing my arm, my my wrist here. So, I mean, this was a pretty good act of trust on Bob's part. (laughs) So, the following day, uh, he managed, uh, Bryson managed to free, break free of his restraints by burning through them using a book of matched, or matches that Bob had inadvertently left in the room and within his reach when he had left the house to go to his place of work. Now, Bryson then managed to escape from the house by jumping from a second floor window wearing nothing beside of a dog collar around his neck. Oh my god. Breaking a bone in his foot in the process, he then ran toward a meter reader walking across the other side of the street, shouting for this individual to call the police. Um, Police arrived, questioned him. He was uh, then driven to the Menorah Medical Center. Um... And an officer radioed to Kansas City Police Department to request a formal search warrant of the property to be drafted. Okay. Um, completely what that was going on. On the uh, afternoon of Bryson's escape, Bob was arrested on charges pertaining to the sexual assault of Christopher uh, Bryson. Um, collaborating Bryson's claims of having been restrained and tortured in his second floor bedroom, investigators discovered the bedroom on the second floor was found to have burnt ropes attached to the posts at the foot of the bed. Also in the room was an electrical transformer plugged into a wall um, and with wires leading to the bed. 
A metal tray containing syringes, small bottles apparently containing prescription drugs, swabs, and eye drops were also close to the bed. Uh, also found in the room was a long uh, iron pipe, various lengths of rope, and leather belts. Investigators also noted that although Bryson's uh, restraints had been tied to posts in each corner of the bed, other posts on the bed had been extensively worn, suggesting that restraints had been uh, earlier been tied in these posts, and that the individual or individuals had struggled to free themselves. To no avail. Um, hang on one second. Let me uh, close this door. Okay, folks, sorry about that. Um, anyways, so we're going here to last thing I mentioned was some of the investigators found, and the last being uh, indications that previous individuals were tied mm -hmm. to the bedpost. Um, <clears throat> Investigators uh, also uncovered a human skull inside a closet on the second floor of his property and a partially decomposed human head in the backyard. Good the search God. also uh, undiscovered several uh, human vertebrae scattered by both uh, scarred by both hacksaw and knife markings stowed in a hallway and several uh, human teeth stowed in two envelopes. Both a hacksaw and a uh, mittersaw were discovered in the basement of the property, and a chainsaw was also found to be sold with bloodstains, flesh, and pubic hairs. Uh, luminol tests revealed that the floor of uh, Bob's basement and the two plastic trash barrels were extensively bloodstained. And, uh, Who was he sending the teeth to? Now, a total of 334 Polaroid pictures. Thirty-four snapshot prints of various male individuals. They were all found stowed in various locations within Bob's house. These images depicted Christopher Bryson and some <laughs> other individuals, both in life and in death. And many other images had been taken as the subjects had been tortured. Um, yeah. Excuse me. The search. The search also uncovered numerous restraining and sexual devices, pornographic literature hypodermic needles, and a book devoted to the creation and remedies of narcotics. Atop a chest of drawers in one bedroom, officers discovered a uh, stenographer's uh, pad containing the detailed torture logs he had maintained for each victim. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And, um... Here we go. Now, Bob... Is uh, he, well during his incarceration. I'm I'm not gonna go into the whole court thing and all that, but uh, upon his time he being incarcerated, he uh, lodged several complaints with prison officials regarding prison conditions. He also written several letters to local ministers claiming the prison officials knew of his high blood pressure, yet they were not providing him with his medications. Oh Lord! Now in 1992. Robert Berdella, also known as the Kansas City, uh, oh. yeah, it's the Kansas City Butcher. I was so wrong, man. I'm not gonna <laughs> tell you, I was so wrong. Um, he contacted uh, the counselor he first uh, he met when he was first incarcerated. That's uh, Reverend Roger Coleman, and he informed Coleman of his distress due to the staff of the, the Missouri State Penitentiary withholding his heart medications. Now, on 2 p.m. on October 8th, 92, Bob Berdella complained to prison staff of heart pains and was taken from his cell to the prison infirmary. 
Medical staff determined his heart was unable or is unstable and called ambulance. Um, <clears throat> Robert Bedella was taken to a hospital in Columbia, Missouri, where he was pronounced dead from a heart attack. He was 43 years old. Shortly after Bob Berdella's uh, death, the judge at his trial, Alvin Randall, was informed of his passing. In response, he said, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. No compassion there. That's not impartiality. The Kansas, the, Robert Berdella, the Kansas City Butcher, or is known as the Kansas, or is known as the Collector. The Collector. Yeah. God, that sounds awful. Well, the Kansas City Butcher is more, that's what I've more, uh, I know more of. Yeah, but you can think of like a boxer named that. Like, uh, it's the Kansas City Butcher, uh, 28 no. <laughs> and the Collector, like, that just sounds creepy as shit. Like, that's, uh. I mean... With the torture methods and, and, you know, even the stuff he did after they died, I mean. Yeah, that's what. Uh... Yeah, crazy, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, wow. that's, that's out there. Yeah, and not who I thought it was at all. Now, and, and according to published reports, it is said that he suffered from a depressive personality disorder and was uh, diagnosed a sexual sadist who gained extreme sexual. Um, uh, excitement from the humiliate, humiliation, pain, and torture he had submitted his victims to. Yeah. But who do you think it was? Not him. I was leaning towards Dahmer. Ah, uh, yeah, because the guy that escaped. Uh, yeah, I was. I was really leaning towards Dahmer, and then like, dude, when you threw that name on me, I was like, wow. <laughs> Robert. That, that, uh, Berdella. Berdella. Uh, B-E-R-D-E-L-L-A? A, yeah. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, wow. That's... Jesus. This dude was screwed up. I mean... Yeah. And he's... he's his. I mean, the places that he goes to. I mean, the places around is mentioned in this. And like other stories, too. It's like, I know where these places are. It says here, and this is what... I, I, I need to look into because I do find it horseshit, but apparently um, the uh, Robert Berdella's house that was on uh, um, gee, on 4315 Charlotte Street was uh, purchased by a local businessman from an undisclosed sum in December of 1988. Mm -hmm. The property was later demolished. I've seen pictures of it prior to... And looking on Google Earth now, mm -hmm. I, I am I'm having a hard time believing it was that it was demolished. But I don't know. I would have to go there in person to look. Hmm. Hmm. Why wouldn't they demolish it? Oh, I mean, it says they did, uh, and I have a reference I can look up if need be. I don't have it on here, but I have it. No, uh, maybe Google. Has Google Earth updated since then? Yeah. Oh, well, shit. <laughs> they didn't get the wrong house, did they? They didn't get the poor neighbor's house across the street. They were like, oh, it's a five? Damn it! Yeah, so that's the story of Bob. 
the guy Bob. named Bob, the guy Bob, or Bob the guy. That is very different. The collector. Yeah, God, that is weird, man. I mean, collector, because I mean, that's what he was. He had his own business where right? he's from stuff he's collected over the years. Yeah. That was his hobby from like the 60s and 70s and 80s. That is so strange. So you, you've got like at least two and a half to three decades of stuff that he's, you know, you know, collected. So, I mean, it's... Mm. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. That is, that is insane. I like it. Yeah, I was I was thinking to come up with another topic, but I figured this one might be a bit long. Yeah, that's a good one though. And I never heard of him, which is strange because I watch all those documentaries and read all those books. Well, I mean, you know how I decided to pick him. Hmm. I was going through my uh, serial killer coloring book. Oh, uh, <laughs> that was so cool! When <laughs> I got the picture, I was like, "Oh, Jesus." <laughs> yeah yeah in case you're curious folks you can actually go into amazon and you can order uh um i think mine is a serial serial killers big kids coloring book illustrated by uh kay schroeder mm. and on the front is nanny doss the giggling granny i tell you amazon got something for everybody <laughs> you know the giggling granny. Jesus. <laughs> yep. Who gives him these names? <laughs> I, I Is there like know. one really lonely guy like at the FBI or something who's like, ah, <laughs> just like writing this stuff up, just <laughs> chuckling to himself in a broom closet, just really pale and just hates his life. <laughs> That's the job I need. Yeah, right? I, I was thinking that too. I'm like, just kind of goes home with his cat, like his face, and be like, yeah, this is my life now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, God. There are strange people out in this world, man. You got to be careful. Yeah. Very, very. I mean, it's the fact that, you know, a lot of stories I heard growing up as a kid was because of this dude. Yeah, that, that hits close to home. Yeah. Really. Probably a lot closer than anybody ever wants to be, really. I mean, I, I, I don't ever remember meeting him in person. I'm pretty sure I probably walked in with about 50 feet of him at some point in my life, but, you know, you never yeah. know. I mean, that's what makes it so damn creepy. And when he was arrested, I think I was only nine or ten. That's that's still not that young, man. Yeah. But but then again, I remember when my dad was, uh, um, he was single for a time, and he was working at a uh, as a bartender or bouncer at a bar called Dirty Herbie's. There's an old biker that owned it called Dirty Herbie, and. Mm -hmm. If he didn't have someone to babysit, then it would be me. They would be staying there, and uh, I'd have my own little booth at the bike with the biker bar. Nice. So, it's important to be recognized as king at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
in case you didn't know, I run this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Mozzarella sticks and chocolate milk, please. (laughs) Apparently, my dad would tell me that, like, he does women, you know, the women that were in the bar would always come over and, like, be like, oh, he's so cute. And I'm pretty sure my, my dad used that to get some tail. Dude, you use that to get tail. I don't even want to hear that. <laughs> what? Your little ginger ass. Girls <laughs> always liked you. Pain in the ass. Yeah. But shit. <sighs> Good stories. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. This, I gotta go. I gotta get some medicine in me and lay down. This shit's getting a hold of me tonight. Yeah, oh. I, I think I'm going to the gym here in a little while to go run on a treadmill. I'm not. So great. I'm gonna go medicate myself and pass out. <laughs> I'm gonna go work out. <laughs> okay, hey folks. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll. Uh, you might hear from us this Wednesday or. I don't know. We are gonna do the fifth the random facts either this Wednesday or next Wednesday. Yeah, we gotta figure that out. Stay tuned. Because you Take know care. we're planners. Oh, don't yeah. be a douchebag. All right, bye bye, folks. Bye bye, nipples. <laughs>